The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. It's time for our weekly music spot. John Cadell and Dee Ready with us as ever. And Dee, this has come as a bit of a surprise to me, but having read the first chapter of Bono's new memoir, which is extracted in the New Yorker magazine, long in advance of publication, due on the 1st of November, and given that we've also heard extracts from the audiobook, I'm now really looking forward to this. I know, me this too. It seems that this is going to be excellent. It is so well written. It's 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 beautiful. It's funny. Like everything that we've seen from it so far, I'm the exact same as you. Absolutely loved it. And I think this is a really, really clever way to do it where they released part of the audio book um, a couple of weeks ago in line with um, himself and his wife's anniversary. And now... He's, re- he's released a written excerpt. So you're kind of capturing, you know, you're appealing to both the potential audiences for the book there. But like an absolutely gorgeous, gorgeous piece about the death of his mother, Iris, um, when he was a child. And it's it's really stunning. It actually reminded me of that book, which I'm pretty sure you've read. Um, Did you hear Mammy Died? Yes. By Seamus O'Reilly. He's been a it's, guest here on the programme yeah, as well, Yeah, no, that's why I figured you'd have read it. But it just, um, it just captures the sort of uniquely Irish way of dealing with grief. And that's what Bono's managed to do in his piece as well. Like, Yeah, but he, also the difficulty that he and his father and brother had coming to terms with it afterwards, oh, failing to speak about but, it. But that's what I mean about yeah. the Irishness of it, where he, he says that, like, you know... Um, that she died um, she was never spoken of, spoke of again and then he says I fear it was worse than that that we rarely thought of her again we were three Irish men and we avoided the pain we knew that would come from thinking and speaking about her which is just heartbreaking um, and you know, but there's there's also humour to it, like like before, where he he says her humour black as her dark curls. Could it be John Cadell that? In the progression in Bono's life, and he's now a man in his 60s, that he has turned into more of a writer than he is of a musician. Um, I think he could only have written the way he does if he hadn't, if he had spent all those years writing lyrics for U2 songs. He is, you know, he has improved and improved as a lyricist as as he's gone on, although... Having said that, the lyrics for, you know, stuff like I Will Follow and Out of Control are so direct that they they, they hit you in the fields because they're so direct. But he's, I, I'm not going to say he's, he's more flowery in his writing here, but he certainly uses the metaphors. He talks about his father carrying his uh, mother from the graveside like a white snooker ball scattering a triangle of colour. So trying to get through mm. the crowd in order to get her to an ambulance. Um, and that's the sort of writing that only comes from somebody who reads a lot and who has spent half their life writing words on a page. Um, I, mean, I, I think the point though that I'm making is, is that maybe the music now isn't as vital as it was in the early years, I, that all of you two's best work was in the last century, well, rather think, than over the last 20 years. But as he's matured and become a different individual, that now he's in a position to write 
material that perhaps he wouldn't have been capable of at the height of his musical fame. And that's not taking away from his continued love of performing on stage. But remember, I mean, Bono wouldn't agree that U2's best work was done in the in the 20th century no, as well. No, I doubt very much he would. Yeah, but... But a lot of people would say it was. But if, I mean, are you, are you asking, is he better now as a writer because of all the years of experience he had? Yes. Yeah, well, I guess he, yeah, I mean, he, he is. But the more you do something, obviously, the better you get at it. And Bono has always been great at putting images together through words. But I don't know, personally, I don't know if that necessarily follows, Matt, but like that you need a long career of writing to be a good writer. Like if you take any good lyrics to a song, they are a form of poetry in themselves. And in a different era or a different generation, they might have been released in that form. Uh, maybe it's the case that this long form type of writing just appeals to him more now. Indeed, and indeed there are many artists and performers whose best work is done young, many writers, Mm -hmm. but sometimes others blossom in a different way. And perhaps his ability, no, but perhaps his ability to allow himself evolve creatively, which to be fair to him, he has always done and he has allowed his personality to evolve in different ways as well. And that probably added to his clear innate talent has made him as good a writer as he is. But you also have to be very, very comfortable with yourself to write a memoir. And maybe before now, he just wasn't in that place. You know, you have to be able to be willing to put it all there on the page. And by the extracts that we've read, Mm. Bono has been willing to do that. Of course, there's a, in a typical U2 fashion, there is the big marketing build-up to this book as well. So let's hear a little bit of when he was on BBC's Desert Island Discs last June, speaking to Lauren Laverne. Laughing a lot. The mischief was upon her. One of the neighbours had told her, that boy, he he needs to be disciplined with a cane. And my mother was like, a cane? And she was chasing me down the the garden and I was like terrified. And and I looked back and I just saw her laughing. You know, she just, she just couldn't take that seriously. I, I, I wrote a song, Iris, on Songs of Innocence. In, in some ways, I wrote songs to get back to her, though she went away physically, in other ways, the absence made itself known. Mm -hmm. And it was a great gift to me because I filled it with music. Uh, I I don't know if you've ever read uh, Eamon Dunphy's book, The Unforgettable Fire. Yes, I have. Um, Long, long time ago now, because that was in the mid-1980s that came out. Yeah, but that gives a, a great account of Bono's relationship with his mother and how she was always his defender. As in, like, you know, the dad and the older brother will be, like, sort of looking at him sideways and, you know, what's what's Paul at now? Whereas his mother would always be the one that he'd run to. The mother would be the one to say, leave him alone. He's, you know, he's making his own path. And so when she died, uh, you know, he was obviously bereft. And Eamon Dunphy in his book gives a great reading of how the three of them tried to come to terms with the fact that now they were three Irish men in a house, as you pointed out, not mentioning the fact that their mother, wife, was gone and how they they spent all the time not talking about it and arguing with each other and fighting with each other and how Bono said it was not a happy home from the moment that his mother was gone. It wasn't a happy home and that drove him then out to the, the streets of, of Glasnevin to to uh, imagine this imaginary group of friends and place called Lipton Village, which included like Googie and The Edge and Gavin Friday. So he lost himself in this world of his friends because he just didn't want to be at home, all because of his mother's passing. So, you know, it was, it's interesting 
how many world famous musicians, how many of their mothers died when they were young? It's not just musicians, T. I'm aware of so many major figures in Irish and international life who had a traumatic either loss of a parent in their mid-teens or some major event in their lives, which possibly drives them on to achieve afterwards. Well, I think it matures you emotionally um, in a way, you know, I suppose you can't be fundamentally emotionally mature unless you understand what loss is. So if that happens to you at an extremely young age, it it forces you to, to deal with loss but also with morta- mortality and, and any number of things that in in an ordinary, ha- well not ordinary sorry, in a happier childhood where you don't suffer that trauma you won't have to do. We will return to Bono's book when it's published in November and I, I imagine in great detail because it's going to be for many people not just music fans but people who are interested in Irish history over the last half century is going to be a really, really fascinating read. But I want to go to your pick of the week, John, because Mm. it connects with a recommendation made in our movie spot last Thursday by Brian Lloyd. I heard Brian talking about this. Yeah, Moon Age Daydream is a new documentary on uh, the life of David Bowie. Um, Now, there's been, since Bowie died, the Bowie industry has gone into overdrive. Every other month, it seems to be a new reissue or a coloured vinyl or something. And I personally am sick of all the Bowie reissues. But this one stands out because it's done something different. It's the soundtrack to the film, but what they've managed to do is uh, find audio of David himself speaking. They've got some, they've commissioned some new mixes of the songs so you hear them in a different light and there's also previously unheard material on it too so it's over two hours long it's 45 tracks in total and just to give you a flavour of what sort of stuff they've done for the soundtrack this is a very well known song but it's a new mix the Moon Age Daydream mix of Sound and Vision Who knew there was honky-tonk piano in Sound and Vision? Not only that, but the bass is much higher in the Absolutely. mix. Mm. Yeah, so the bass was the first thing yeah. that struck me in the, that as well. The drums are higher. They, yeah. they have undoubled Bowie's doubled vocals, his own harmonies. They've, they've stripped some of the harmonies away. And you know... And it sounds great. I love nothing more does. than hearing songs I think I know in a new way. And this is what this Unless delivers Unless it's a space. slower cover. Unless it's a slow by acoustic cover by somebody for an ad for <laughs> something or other at Christmas. Um, yeah, so I wholeheartedly recommend uh, the Moon Age Daydream soundtrack. Okay, as well as the documentary itself. I've not seen the documentary, but having heard Brian talk about it on this show, I really, really yeah, want I to see it. I actually need to go and get to see that before it leaves the cinemas. Dee, what's your pick of the week, Mine is from Farah El, the fantastic Libyan-Irish singer and composer. Um, So this is a single from her really long-anticipated debut album, Fatima, which is going to be coming out next month on October 7th. Um, And actually, it continues 
the theme of the conversation we were talking about earlier because the single that she's released um, to um, announce the album is called Laundry and it's it's a tribute to her mother um, who was is called Fatima Hamrush and she's a woman who returned from Ireland to Libya in 2011 and became the Minister of Health there. She sounds like an incredible woman but it's a really beautiful song and she describes it as the first love, love song she ever wrote and what it describes in the song is her coming home from a festival exhausted and knowing she had a massive pile of laundry waiting for her in her room and then opening the door to discover that her mother uh, has done it for her which is a really really sweet um, description Let's hear it Another track that's big on the piano. Yeah, very big. Um, the the everything she's she's shared so far has been really really class and very very funky as I well. Like so I'm excited to hear. She kind of blends rock and funk. It's I was sucker cool. for piano anyway in a song. Absolute sucker. Well, you're also as excited <laughs> as the four hundred thousand people were about Garth Brooks, weren't you? About the return to these shores of. The Stranglers. Yeah, I mean, everyone at this stage who listens uh, knows they are my favourite band in the world. I make a case uh, that they are the greatest working band uh, in the world and have been for a while. Uh, they're back in Ireland. They're playing the big top in Limerick. On, I'm not getting paid to say this, by the way. I'm just, I just want everyone <laughs> to know that if you have a spare night, either Thursday, Friday or Saturday, and you're looking for something to do, go and see the Stranglers. They're playing the big top in Limerick on Thursday, the Olympia on Friday, which I'm going to, obviously, and the Limelight in Belfast on Saturday. They're just... They're just absolutely fantastic. They've done it all. And the songs are incredible. The musicians are incredible. They're just a great band. The image is great. The fans are sound. Go and see them. Somebody who was supposed to be playing last weekend was Aslan. And of course, they had to cancel the gig in the three arena. Do we have an update on how Christy Dignam is, Dean? Um, I don't think so, Matt. Um, I mean, it's it's such a shame because it would have been the biggest show of their career so far and it was meant to celebrate their 40th anniversary. But in the release that went out to all of the ticket holders, they um, said that Chrissy's health is a priority and we also want to respect his privacy at this time. So I'm, I'm, I'm not sure that we've heard how he's doing more than that. Did you see the video from the hospital? He no. was in a waiting room in, uh, in a hospital. I and, missed that. And somebody had an acoustic guitar started playing Crazy World and Christy starts singing along. Oh, that's class. While he's waiting to be seen. Yeah, yeah. I think it's all related to maybe his ongoing I believe so, yeah. yeah. So, so best wishes to him, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Louis Tomlinson, Louis Tomlinson is struggling with his solo music apparently. Let's hear a bit of it. All these voices, all these choices I don't hear them Somebody told me I would change I used to hide behind a smile When somebody told me I would change I was afraid I don't know why As soon as the 
So, what's Louis Tomlinson's problem? Well, will I take this one, Dee? Y- yeah, you, I mean, you, you start off anyway. I, I don't <laughs> know if there's room for all five of the lads in the pop landscape on their own. Um, if you think about it, Niall Horan sort of has gone down the sort of singer-songwritery route. Zane has gone down the sort of the dancey R&B route. Harry is a renaissance man. Watson, and, and a superstar. Mm, yeah. Watson, on an individual basis, yeah. rather than just as a member of One Direction. Yeah. What's Louis to do? I mean, You're going very well. I thought you were going to name every member of One Direction. Uh, there. The other lad as well. The fifth lad as well who does things. Oh, don't look at me. Liam? Um, that's him. There you yeah, go. Yeah, Liam Payne. Um, yeah, so it's hard It's hard for them each, each to carve out their own niche because Harry's gobbling up everything around him. Niall is sort of just enjoying his life and releasing an album every couple of years. Zane has not fulfilled a promise. He didn't do a Robbie. Remember, he was the one who left. You see, that's the thing, right? Louis was the kind of the one that wrote the most songs mm. that when they were in One Direction. So I actually almost think that, he, God love him, he's the, and that's not to say Gary Barlow hasn't had a fantastic career, but he is, he is forever compared to Robbie Williams. And I think the same is happening again here where Louis is always compared to Harry, yeah. who expectations might have been a little bit lower for. And he's suddenly revealed himself to be yeah. one of the few superstars of his generation. And in fairness... And it's very hard to do what you're doing when you're being measured against that. Because he's 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 always measured against Harry yeah. and not against the other guys. And yeah. I think that must be really, really tough. And he did say that he knows he's tested the, his fans' loyalty with his first album because they were like dance pop crossovers um, and that he kind of had done what he thought he should be doing as opposed to what he was, what he really wanted mm. to be doing. And Harry's had the freedom to do what he really wants. Let's finish up. We started this week's music spot by talking about Bono's book. Of course, Sinead O'Connor had an acclaimed book in recent years as well. But there's now a documentary forthcoming. What do we know of this, Dee? Yeah, so they've just released the trailer for this um, and it'll be coming out, I think, on streaming sites later this month. Um, Although it is going to get a cinema release in the United States for a week to qualify it, I think, for our ah, Oscar nomination. Fantastic. Called Nothing Compares. Yeah, it's uh, it looks to be, I think, a really beautiful piece of uh, film. Um, you know, she she talks in it in the trailer um, about that very, very contentious at the time um, Saturday Night Live performance where she protested sexual abuse of children by the Catholic Church and she suffered huge kickback for that and I know we've spoken about that before that she was owed more by society It's a six year focus apparently from mm. 1987 to 1993 so it maybe sets up what became a much more difficult and turbulent part of her life afterwards If I mean I was heartened to see because poor Sinead especially this year she's had mm. her, her heartache but I was pleased to see there's a new interview with her in the movie so it's not all it's all archival footage but it's a new interview so You'd wonder would she want to talk on record having done the book about the more difficult part of her life post-1993. But this was like, as Dee says, this is when she was in, you know, the eye of a hurricane. Yeah. Um, And as history has proven, was right. But I think it's, and because history's proven she was right, I think it's important that she is given a platform like this to sort of reflect on that period with everything she knows now. Yeah, yeah. 
OK, look, we've got to leave it there. Thank you very much, John Cadell and D. Ready for being with us as ever here on The Last Word in Today FM. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today FM.